Hello and welcome to the J-Rod Sports Pod with me, James Robson. And me, Ollie Dix. So today, Ollie and I are going to be taking a quick look back at some of the news from this week in the sporting world that you probably heard about, maybe heard about, and probably didn't hear about. So let's jump straight into a little bit more of a pint-sized look back at world sport this week. Right, so Ollie Roglic... Uh, managed to extend his lead by six seconds today over Richard Carapaz in the Vuelta. Uh, it was a day where, I mean, a breakaway went up the road, then got reeled in, and there was a sort of bunch, a bit of a fractured bunch sprint, but it was just the contenders. There was quite a big Category 2 climb early, no, not early, late in the day, which kind of sorted out all the sprinters and the peloton was pretty small it's quite frequent this year that that we've seen pelotons like single digits yeah you know that main group but i think the thing that was interesting for me was that i mean roglic was so it showed how explosive roglic is as a rider that he was able to get in that group and then come second which gives him six bonus seconds whereas someone like carapaz was you could see carapaz was going absolutely hell for leather but could only manage fifth outside of the bonus seconds. And then that gap just widens a little bit. It's going to take something special from Ineos Grenadiers and Carapaz tomorrow to overhaul this. Do you think they'd do it? I think the hard thing is, is that today's stage suggested like that he doesn't have that in him. So he's 45 seconds behind. And you don't, just happily give up six seconds if you're fully aware that the next day you're going to go for it. You know, you don't want to make that task any harder than you absolutely have to. So I think if Carapaz could have gone today, he would have. And I think it was quite evident. And it wasn't like Roglic put in a massive shift to get there. I think it's quite telling when Roglic is on good form because he has that turn of pace. He's either riding through Hummus or he's, you know, he's there or thereabouts and then has a turn of pace to go. He has that extra gear. Um, and Carapaz just seems to have... He doesn't have that turn of pace. It, it needs to be long enough for him, which fortunately Saturday's stage is. But I think it's quite a lot to make up with a very strong Jumbo Visma team. Uh, it was interesting, I think, to see on that Category 2 climb before... Uh, before the descent to the finish. It was really interesting to see Ineos go to the front and tear it up. I mean, they were tear- they were going so fast on the front there. And everyone was like, oh, you know, are they trying to break Roglic? I was like, not today, they're not. They're trying the to- accumulative effort. Yeah, they're trying to, they're like, we know you blow up and we know we've got four less days to make you blow up. So let's absolutely send it the day before we want and rely on the fact that our guys can bounce back a bit quicker. Do you think this Ineos team, we've seen it quite frequently that they've, they've managed to, they have a few more guys in the team that are more there for like breakaway days, like Amador. And like, it then means that when they do decide to go out, like we've seen Carapaz on his own a lot. And, you know, I think, 
Froome seems to be his last domestique at the moment. He's always the last one to go. But once he doesn't have Froome, it's very much like he can't attack really far out without some help. And not having that help around him, I think, is going to be the the falling domino in that that limits this I for Carapaz. I think what what it comes down to tomorrow is picking Carapaz's moment to time trial up the hill to the finish. And if they can pick that moment right where he can get ahead and stay ahead and hope that the stars line and Roglic has a bit of a wobble at that moment, then who knows? I think it's unlikely that he ends up in red though. Yeah, I think that last climb being 10k at an average of 7% isn't severe enough. I don't think there's enough. How hilarious is it that we're saying that 10k at 7% isn't hard enough no but like we've seen like the the 12 and a half k at like 10 percent Roglic could stay there and I think like he's got enough teammates around him to not lose enough I don't think he'll win the stage but I don't think he's going to lose like the best part of a minute right so turn our attention to the Green Bay Packers who managed to defeat a 49 San Francisco 49ers team who have had I think it could be safe to say the week from hell yeah uh, I think five of their offensive starters have been placed on long term injury lists and then they were shut down because of COVID on Wednesday yeah and were allowed back Thursday morning to play the game this is I mean, talk about not ideal prep. This is next level, not ideal. Yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, a pray and, and hope it goes okay. But I think for the 49ers, they're very much aware of where their season currently is now. Like, they're not at a point where they're, they're looking to push on now. It's very much like, right, actually, like, is Jimmy the guy we want to go forward with next year? Can, are there any moves that we can make? Can we cut anyone? What does the draft look like? Where can we pick? Can we start looking towards college players that have only played well less than 10 games this year and actually pick effectively and efficiently? And I think that's where the 49ers are. And actually, I think we're starting to see... This is, I think, arguably the earliest we've seen multiple teams look towards their youth and go... Our focus is now on you. You have 10 games to make the most of it. Yeah. I completely agree. I think it's an interesting situation in San Francisco because they they went from being so competitive last year to looking quite inept at times. Um, but, uh, you know, on the other side of the field, Aaron Rodgers uh, completed, I think it was 28 of 31 passes. 25 of 31 for 305 yards, four touchdowns. MVP of the league, do you think? Or, you know, he's definitely in the conversation. I think, yeah, when it comes to... I think the MVP thing is is how you define it personally. You know, is it best story? Is it, like, best stats? But when you think of it as most valuable player to your team... I think he is. The only person that I can think of is Russell Wilson. I I agree, but I think 
what's hard is I don't think you see Wilson put it on his back all the time. I think consistently makes big plays at big times, but it's never like I'm going to... We've seen for years and years now Rodgers somehow drag this Green Bay team to consistent success, whereas that Seattle team had a very good defence for a long time. Defence has almost been Pete Carroll's kind of game for most of it, and actually the support around him hasn't necessarily been bad, but it's not been great either, and I think that's why I would edge Rodgers over Wilson. Also, looking at the Seahawks team this year, everyone's talking about DK Metcalf. Yeah. And I mean, what, what a freak athlete he is. I think the comparisons to Megatron are a bit too early. Calvin Johnson, for those of you who are confused with the Transformers version. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, yeah, everyone seems to say that he's a star for the future. And I think then once you start to have that conversation, it takes away from Russell's MVP. I agree. Right, so Ollie, now we've got a bit of Olympic news, which might have flown under the radar somewhat to most people. And this is regarding a conversation that we don't like having uh, in sport. But it's important to have the conversation when we need to. So one of the members of the Australian medley relay team uh, from the London 2012 Olympics, who goes by the name of... Brendan Rickard. Has tested positive for banned substances. Um, And this is... The interesting thing about this is obviously with the whole situation that's went, that's gone on with Russia and the Russian anti-doping agency and everything that came out in the lead up to the 2016 games, uh, you know, the, oh, a sudden emphasis was placed on retesting of samples, you know, older samples. And one thing that, again, kind of flew under the radar with this was that 2020 was the last time, the last year, that samples from the 2012 Olympics were able to be tested. Yeah. And so that's why it's been interesting to watch some of the top-end performances from that Olympics become tarnished somewhat. And this is this is what's happened in the um, medley relay. Uh, <laughs> the British look to be the people who uh, benefit because they will be upgraded from a fourth place to a third place but as an athlete I mean are you are you pleased I don't know if the phrase nothing worse is the right one to use and obviously I've not been in this situation so don't know what it's like but I can't imagine there are many things like that are worse than this that eight years on that so thirty medals from London twenty twelve have been reallocated. And I think one of the biggest things about winning the medal seems to be at that time you can run around with your flag, you can stand on a podium, like that is almost the best part of it. It's only like years down the line when you look back and you go, Oh, all that sacrifice was worth it, everything like that. Imagine coming away from the Olympics finishing fourth. A lot of people would argue that is the worst place to finish. Yeah, and for eight years, 
you know, slowly having to come to terms with that and to accept it yeah. and move on. And then suddenly all of that emotion gets brought up again. And that's the difference between potentially someone carrying on or stopping funding. Like an Olympic medal that definitely helps your funding case, you know? And so I think that's the hard thing. But what's good is that this is happening. I would much rather it happened and they did get reallocated than we just kind of, okay, accept it and what it is on the day is what it stands. But yeah, it's a real shame eight years on to kind of have to open up this book of sour notes almost um, and, and readdress it. I don't think it's a particularly pleasant situation for anyone, but I think... I think it's hard to comprehend how it feels to be given a medal so long after and to feel cheated of your moment. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's so tough. It's so, so difficult for anyone to comprehend what that must feel like. So 30 30 medals, I mean... I listened to a podcast over uh, the summer, which was looking back, a BBC podcast, which they interviewed Gregory Rodchenkov, who was the doctor, who was the um, head of the World Anti-Doping Lab in Moscow and was the whistleblower that led to uh, the World Anti-Doping Agency essentially banning Russian athletes from competing. And he said that London 2012 will be remembered as one of the most dirty games. Yeah, but... Uh, in history and it's it's sad that it's happening but for sport in general it has to I think what's surprising as well for me is that these things fly under the radar like to find out about this on BBC Sport you had to scroll past through all the headlines past the entertainment bit and then to like the the second hand sporting bit and even then it was at the bottom and this is like today's news yeah, and so like it's surprising that it's not a bigger thing, and a bigger thing's not being made of it. And actually, it seems this is just a product of actually us bettering the testing system, which we should be grateful for. But yeah, I mean, fingers crossed, the right result is determined, because this is horrible for Ricard. If this doesn't end up, if it is a contaminated thing, or actually he's not done anything wrong. Could could you imagine for eight years like that the guilt that then would come with this if this is taken away from you? Yeah. Right now, the last thing we've got to talk about quickly uh, is it looks like we might have a new Premier League leader. Yeah, after eight games, Southampton. Well, their eighth game, Southampton are winning two 0 against Newcastle, and we'll go top of the league if that stays as the case. If I'd have told you in July. Yeah, that eight games into the next Premier League season, Southampton would be leading. We'd be like, "What is going on?" If I'm being honest with you, in July, if you'd told me that Southampton, Everton, Aston Villa, and Leeds would have all been in the top four at some point, I probably would have gone, "What are you smoking? Please, might have some." you know like these aren't teams I mean Southampton are one of the teams that I did say would be resurgent but 
that comes with a little bit of a down. So with Sheffield United. So with Sheffield United and Burnley. But I think, you know, we've seen this Southampton team, they have they ebb and they flow. And when it's high it's it's promising and that's good. Um but yeah. I think I think the the Premier League is one of those it's so tough to last a full season and to be consistently good to consistently overperform for a full season for sure and I think this is what makes the Liverpool and Man City teams of recent years so impressive is that for the whole season they've performed well like yeah and Pep said something very funny today he was like someone asked him if this was a title game this weekend Liverpool versus Man City and he was like just like in the American president presidential election, all the votes count. <laughs> and, you know, all these games count. And I think, like, by the end of the year, you forget about games 1 to 10. But yeah. if you can pick up some really good results here, like, it saves your worry of any kind of relegation battle. It completely changes that, like, your whole season. Yeah. Also, the interesting thing for me is that Southampton seem to be beating teams they're meant to be beating. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, we get those teams um, who are phenomenal against top four opponents or top six opponents or top ten opponents. But actually when they're in the, you know, bottom of the middle of the table, they can't beat the teams around them. And, and that's what's quite impressive about this Southampton team is they seem to be controlling the games quite well and getting the results they need to regardless of the opponent so yeah and I think it's quite interesting at the moment so Leicester are third on 15 points Arsenal are ninth on 12 points and so you know you've got eight teams there seven teams that are any given weekend now that completely switches every single time yeah and you know that's Man City will no doubt join that group and well, we need to wait for Man U to see if they sort themselves out. But like to have eight teams there that are flickering in and around like makes everything, every game like as important as it can be. Right, so thank you very much for listening to that slightly quick episode of the J Rod Sports Pod. Um, join us on Tuesday where we take a little bit longer look back at everything that's happened over the weekend. But until then, please make sure that you be a friend and tell a friend about the J Rod Sports Pod.